We have been studying through the book of 2 Thessalonians. Pastor Joel has led us up to chapter 3, and that's where we're going to pick up here in just a moment. But we have some, some things to look back on. I want us to make sure that we're fully aware of where Paul has taken this letter, where he started, what he's trying to reveal to the Thessalonians, and now what he is going to say to us today. But we have studied this now for the last several weeks, and first and foremost, we get out of the book of 2 Thessalonians the idea that the return of Jesus will usher in the righteous judgment of God. It will usher in the righteous judgment of God. In chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's no secret to us that there are people around us, not simply out in California, which seems to be the place that we look to as being so pagan. It's not, it's not just California, but right around the corner here in Athens, there are people who do not know Jesus Christ. There are people who are living in rebellion to God. There are people who are, some of these that we're talking about, they inflict vengeance. They inflict pain. They inflict suffering on the people of God. And as believers, we can hold to this promise that Paul is laying out for the Thessalonians, that just as the promises of God that comfort us are kept, just as all other promises of God are held on to and we can trust that that will happen, Paul is saying he will judge those who are rebellious against him. There may even be some in this room this morning, there may be some watching this online, and you yourself have never surrendered your life to follow the one and only true God. You have never asked Jesus to, to forgive you, you have never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and therefore you are in rebellion against God. And if that's the case, you can fix that today. Secondly, Paul reminds us as Christians that we will share in Christ's glory. Now, don't be confused. Paul is not saying that we deserve Christ's glory. He is not saying that we ourselves are glorious. What Paul is telling us here is that we will partake in Christ's glory. You will stand before God one day. Every person will. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And you will stand before a holy God. You will stand before his son, Jesus Christ. And either you will stand there in your own self-righteousness or you will stand there in the glory and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Old, old preachers around will say things like, uh, Jesus, paid a, uh, Jesus paid a price he didn't owe because I owed a debt I couldn't pay. I bet you've heard that or something similar to that. Uh, here's the truth of that, though. You can pay it. You say, what are you talking about? I've always heard I couldn't pay that debt. You can pay it. You can stand before God in your own self-righteousness, and you will pay your own debt through eternity in hell. Or 
You can stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ in knowing He paid your debt for you. So that's, the, that's your only two options. Thirdly, uh, Paul tells us before the second coming of Jesus can occur, the lawless one will be revealed and there will be a final rebellion of humanity. Check out verse 3 in chapter 2. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. There is coming a day when someone will lead the world astray. There's someone coming who is going to lead the rebellion against God. We don't know if that's happening now. I know we are, our minds are set on what's happening in the Ukraine and, the, and what's happening with Russia. And we know that Scripture says that the, there will be a conquering army that will come in from the north. But what we do not know is if we are the last generation. We do not know, like the generations in, uh, in, in the 1930s and the 1940s who would have surely thought Hitler must be the man of lawlessness. We don't know if we are the final generation. But what do we know? We know according to what Paul has told us that he, Jesus is coming back, and we know for sure that this rebellion is going to happen. And if we really think that we could be the last generation, shouldn't that impact the way that we are sharing the gospel? Shouldn't that impact the way that we are building relationships? Shouldn't that impact the way that we are fixing the relationships that need mending? Because the day could be tomorrow that Jesus comes back. We say we think we're in the end times. Pastor Joel taught a couple of weeks ago, he believes the Antichrist has already been born. And if that's the case, what are we doing about it? Have we changed the way we share? Have we added a sense of urgency to what we have going on around us? Fourthly, Paul says the role of the lawless one will be to deceive those who have been rejected, who have rejected the gospel, guaranteeing their condemnation when Jesus returns. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What is this saying? Saying at some point, God is going to turn those over to their own belief system. The time of him calling them to salvation will come to an end. Is that your loved one? Is that my loved one? Is that your friend? Is that the people who pass you on the street? Is that those who work in the cubicle next to you? Is this the people that are around us that we have good news to share, but we don't? This has been a, a hard message to preach the last two services and the uh, week while I studied it because God's hitting me right in the face. Kenan, if, if this is the end, if what's happening in the Ukraine's got your minds on what might be coming, then what are you doing about it? Paul is going to transition 
his, his writing. He, in just about every letter of Paul, he will do uh, uh, some theological things. He will start off with his greeting, and he will tell the, the church that he's writing about some theological things they misun- might misunderstand or some things that they need to have communicated better to them for better understanding. And then he'll transition in the, toward the middle or the second third of his, his letter, and he will talk about the things that he's heard the church is doing inappropriately. He will hear about the, he will talk about the, the ways they're worshiping wrongly if it's like 1 Corinthians, or, or he will talk about the things that are going on in their living in the flesh in the, in the church of Galatia. So he'll talk about these different things. Well, he's about to transition, but in the middle of it, at the beginning of chapter 3, so we often just run right past what he has going to say in this time where he's asking for prayer. He's going to reassure the Thessalonians of some things, and then he's going to actually pray for them. And it's easy to just read right past it in your daily Bible reading and miss what he said. So start with me in chapter 3, verse 1, and let's see what Paul is saying. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Right off the bat, Paul says, pray for us. And we are not, we are not uh, new to the idea of prayer requests. Now, sometimes our prayer requests turn into gossip sessions, and that's a whole nother sermon that we'll talk about later, some other time. But we're not unfamiliar with the idea of asking for prayer requests. But what, what jumped out to me here is that Paul didn't start off asking about God fixing the suffering that he and Timothy and Silas might have been dealing with. He's not praying, asking the people to pray for them so that they have comfort, so that they have peace, so that they have his thorn in the flesh taken care of. Paul's very first request from the people of Thessalonica is that for the gospel to be shared. He says it's, it's the, the sharing of the word of the Lord and that it may speed ahead and be honored. And I have to, I have to be honest with you this morning. My prayer life doesn't usually look like this if I'm just going to be transparent. If I'm, going to, if I'm going to tell you all what I've been studying this week and how God's been working in me, my prayer life usually doesn't start, hey, would you pray that the gospel will be spread more than you'll pray for me? Would you pray that I am more effective in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around me than I am more worried about uh, whether or not I have a sore toe? which I do, but that's… I was was struck by the fact that his first prayer request is that the gospel will be shared unhindered, without opposition, and that it will speed ahead. He then also asks for the gospel to be honored. Well, what do we mean by that? You know, we live in a culture, especially here in the South, that there's a particular amount of respect given to the house of God, to the things of God. Here in the Bible Belt, it's not unusual for people, even if they don't go to church, they respect the preacher. But respecting the things of God is not the same as honoring them. 
When he says honor, it means by people acknowledging the truth and not just acknowledging it, but embracing it, embracing God's offer of salvation. And he uses the Thessalonians as an example. He said, as it happened among you. Three weeks is all he spent in Thessalonica. In comparison, he spent two and a half years setting up the church in Ephesus. But after three weeks in Thessalonica, he got ran out of town. And we'll talk about more th- that more here in just a minute. But his experience while teaching and leading and, and working in Thessalonica leads him then to his second prayer request. Look at chapter, uh, verse 2. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Three weeks in Thessalonica before he got ran out of town by, according to what Acts 17 says, it was wicked men of the rabble. I don't know what rabble is, but apparently it was bad. Wasting, you probably didn't want to meet the men of the rabble. They were wicked. They were evil. They did not have faith. You think it's, it's easy to spread the gospel. Well, no, you don't. You, you understand it's not. Because there are people who don't want to accept it. There are people who don't want to hear it. They don't want a spotlight to be turned on their sinfulness. They don't want a spotlight turned on the things that they enjoy doing. Because let's face it, sometimes sin is enjoyable. And we don't want the spotlight turned on us where we have to turn away from a particular lifestyle. And here's the best part of the gospel. It's not that you have to. Is that after Jesus gets a hold of you and you sing these songs that we've been singing this morning about being redeemed by the blood and what he did for your life, you are willing to turn away from those things. Because Jesus said, these are not good for you. And that is not what I died for. I died for your, your growth, for you to be more like me. But not all have faith. Sometimes you run into evil and wicked men. Sometimes, according to what Paul wrote in other letters, and according to what Peter and John also wrote, apparently sometimes the wicked and evil are not just from the people outside these walls. Sometimes it's in here. Have you ever considered what is hindering the gospel from speeding forward from inside our own walls? And that's a hard question. And we're going to look at that a little more here in just a moment. But there, there are people who do not have faith. There are people who sit in our Sunday morning services, who watch us online every week. They could be in this room right now, and they have no relationship with Jesus Christ, and they can hinder what we have going. But Paul reassures the Thessalonians. In verse 3, he says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now, what's, what you lose in the English translation is found in the Greek. And it, at the end of verse 2, the last word of verse 2 is faith. Not everyone has faith. But the first word in verse 3 in the Gre- original Greek is faithful. So, Paul is contrasting the evil, wicked men's lack of faith and all that he has addressed with these Thessalonians about the man of lawlessness and about all these things that are coming ag- going to come against them and about how hard life can be. But he starts verse 3 with the phrasing, faithful is the Lord. No matter what we face, no matter how hard life is, no matter even when we want to give up, 
God is faithful, and He will endure with us, and He will help us persevere. And he, Paul tells them that He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. I find it's interesting. He went from asking prayer requests for himself, Paul, and Silas, excuse me, Silas and Timothy, he is himself, Paul. So he's gone from asking for prayer requests to now turning it back around to the Thessalonians as a good pastor does. Because after a little while, it moves from where it's not as much about me as it is about you. The flock, the believers, those who are striving to follow after Jesus. And he's reminding them, remember, everything I just told you about the lawless one, doesn't matter. God will establish you. He will guard you. Not against evil men and wicked men anymore. Notice the change in, t in the wording. Now he's going to protect you against the evil one, against Satan himself. You see, Satan will not be able to succeed against the Thessalonian church. Satan will not ever be able to succeed against the global church. And as long as we here inside these walls who come together every week and consider ourselves First Baptist Church of Athens, God will not succeed against us. Excuse me. Satan will not succeed against us as long as we are following God. Look at verse 4. He says, we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Paul's confidence in the Thessalonians being able to overcome the oppression of the evil one and overcome their own sinful desire and their own sinful nature is grounded in the faithfulness of the Lord. It's not grounded in their own willpower. How many of you will admit, like me, I've got no willpower? Anybody? Two hands? I mean, I am, I've had to come to a realization that I can't pretend anymore. I'm not just kind of out of shape. I am really out of shape. And if I don't have the willpower to stop myself from going to the refrigerator, what makes me think I would have the willpower to stand against God if I'm not, or stand against Satan if I'm not grounded in God's word and God's things for me? Because willpower don't get it done. We need the Holy Spirit power working inside of us to be able to lead us through. And Paul's confidence in the Thessalonians is that they are grounded in that faithfulness of God. But also he's confident in the fact that they are doing and will continue to do the things that they have been commanded. They have already received one letter from him. Now they're receiving a second letter from him. They've heard word of mouth teaching. They've heard him teach for a little while in those three weeks directly to them. They've heard what Jesus would have them do. And apparently the Thessalonians are doing a good job of keeping it up. But he goes as far as to say that he knows that they will continue. Nothing like a little encouragement from, from a pastor. Nothing like a little encouragement from a parent. You, you've done well. And I know you'll just keep doing well, won't you? We've all used that with our kids before. Paul understands that they will continue to grow. But we don't overcome Satan in willpower. We don't undercome, overcome Satan in our own strength. It's our spiritual growth comes from obedience. James tells us in James chapter 1, starting in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is talking about the, the, the believer who looks into the mirror and they see, they look into the Word of God. They sit in a situation like this. They sit in a setting where they're hearing preaching from God's Word. And the Holy Spirit, not, not anything that the preacher necessarily does or says, but the Holy Spirit Himself speaks directly to their hearts. They're looking into the perfect law. They're looking into the will of God in the mirror. They may even come forward and, and, and bow at an altar and leave tears and pray over these things that God is saying to them needs to be transformed in their lives. But when they get up and they walk out the back door, nothing ever happens. They don't change anything. We are in danger of having our hearts grow cold toward the Holy Spirit's words, toward the Holy Spirit's voice. When He points out directly to us, Kenan, you need to work in this area of your life. Kenan, I don't like that attitude in you. Kenan, I don't like you have that much arrogance going on inside of you. And I hear Him, and I ignore Him and I grow just a little colder toward him in that area. So the next time he speaks, he's got to talk a little louder. He's got to talk a little harder. He's got to do a little more to get my attention. Because like John has said in his first letter, John said, for those of you who say you are not sinners, that you have no sin, you lie. But I rationalize my sin. I call it my cultures impacted me this way and made me this way. My dad didn't love me enough. My mom didn't hug me enough. I have a disease. I have an ism. You, you fill in the blank. For whatever reason, we rationalize in ourselves that what we are saying is not sin. And John goes a little further, a couple verses later, and he says, not only do you say that you do not sin, you say you aren't, this is not sin. You've rationalized it. And he says, when we look at what God in the, through the Holy Spirit shows us in our life, and we rationalize it to ourselves, and we decide this is not a sinful thing in my life, then we just called God a liar, according to John. And we grow a little colder. And it becomes harder. So what does Paul pray? He Paul prays for them in chapter 3, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That would be real easy to just, when you're doing your daily Bible reading, to just read by it as that's just another prayer of Paul for his people. But what you miss if you just buzz by it is that he's asking that their hearts be directed to the love of God. Well, our heart is our central place. In Western culture, the heart's all about the warm fuzzies 
It's all about the emotions. But in, in ancient scripture and in, in the first century, the heart included the person's mind, their emotions, their will, their decision-making on what is good and what is evil, their conscience, you might call it. The heart is the central part of who you are. And if you combine that with what Paul said, he said to, it's the, uh, to have your heart directed toward the love of God. The love of God boils down to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most central aspect of God's love for us is the gospel. So basically, Paul is praying for the Thessalonians to be guided by the gospel in all aspects of their lives. The death of Jesus on the cross for our sins and our willingness to live our lives for him based on gratitude for the eternal salvation of our souls. That should impact, it should guide and influence every decision, emotion, behavior, thought, attitude, and word that makes up our everyday lives. If we're honest, we would say the gospel of Jesus Christ has not fully infiltrated me that way. In other letters, Paul talks about dying to self. He talks about putting away the things of the flesh, the things of the world, and to living for and put on the things of Christ. Does the impact of the cross show up in your life? Does the fact that Jesus was willing to die for you when you were unlovely, does that show up in your decision-making every day? Does it impact the way you live your life? Is, is coming to Jesus and following him at the forefront of your life, or is it on the back burner, and it shows up on Sunday morning and maybe a Wednesday night, but you're not really involved intentionally in growing in Christ through the week? Paul goes on and he says, he, he asks for the steadfastness of Christ to also be involved in their lives. Christ is our supreme example of perseverance. Even when he didn't want to go to the cross, he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done, even though he didn't want to do it. He was willing to persevere and endure for whatever God would have for him. So this prayer summary would be something like, let every aspect of your life be impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And though it's a hard road, stick with it like Jesus did. So that's a great message Paul has for the Thessalonians. But how does it relate? How does it transfer to 21st century, 2022 here in Alabama for us today? What are Paul's words for First Baptist? Really, what I would say is it's almost your staff's words for First Baptist. We would say, like Paul, pray for us. Pray for your staff. Pray for your church leadership. We are working to minister to you as our church family, and to continue to spread the gospel across Limestone County, across North Alabama, across the world, and it's difficult. It's hard ministry. The best part 
of ministry is working with people. And the worst part of ministry is working with people because we're all struggling with the same things. We don't mean to put on a facade in front of you. We don't mean to act like we have it all together. But there are some expectations as a staff, and we want to make sure that we're living up to those expectations that you have for us. So pray for us so that we can continue to lead as we should. Just as you have received the gospel through faith, pray that the gospel continues to spread unhindered in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile toward God. Pray that we and the vision that God places on our hearts for FBC Athens will be protected from wicked, evil men and women. And if I can be so bold, just as we as your staff have to battle daily between our fleshly desires and our Holy Spirit being led to do one thing, and just as we ourselves are being transformed by God and to be more like His Son, we know that same transformation is happening out there among you. And we know that there are times, just like with us, your speech gets ahead of your sanctification. Sometimes, as my dad used to say, and I, I might not ought to say this, but as my dad used to say, sometimes we let our mouth overload our butt. You know what I'm saying? And when that happens, sometimes that means the gospel being spread is being hindered. So I encourage you to pray, not only for your staff and leadership, pray for our church, pray for individuals, pray for those of us who sometimes get ahead of ourselves and we're more about finding problems than we are about showing solutions. Pray for those folks, pray for all of us so that evil and wicked people don't have the, the, the access to us from inside our own church walls. As Paul reassured the Thessalonians, I wanna reassure you 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish FBC Athens, and He will guard us against the evil one. And your staff has confidence in the Lord about you, what you are doing and will do. <laughs> that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Now, let me back up there for a second, because we're putting… I'm putting the church staff in there instead of Paul's names and that sort of thing. And I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. We're not talking about commanding you. We're not talking about giving commands and expect you to follow them. We're talking about what we're talking about is teaching the things of the Lord. We're talking about teaching you the commands of Jesus. Those are the things that we are confident in that you have been and will continue to do. But we can't be complacent. We can't be satisfied with what God has done over the last 200 years here at FBC. We have to continue growing in Him. We have to continue casting new vision and moving toward what He has for us next. It has been said that sometimes the greatest hindrance to new, greater things is a great past because we find ourselves resting on that. So we're wanting to move forward. 
Pray for us. Pray for our church. Pray for individuals so that we will move forward. And finally, I pray for you what Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May every aspect of your life be impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And though it's a hard road, may God provide the strength and perseverance to stick with it just like Jesus did.